Uh, bow your heads and join with me in a word of opening prayer. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for this chance to come into your house. We give you thanks for this glorious day that you have made. God, may we rejoice and be glad in this day, in your presence, in this hour that we have to give ourselves fully over to you, to feel your loving embrace, to know your grace your presence and your love. God, I pray that wherever we are, whether we are here in person, whether we are joining in online, make wherever we are holy ground, that this may be holy time where we can see you clearly, where we can know your presence, where we can feel the conviction of your word and that we may be transformed by you. In Jesus' most holy name we pray, amen. Let us pray. Gracious, loving God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that your love is the most powerful force known. We give you thanks that your love reaches out into the world, into our lives, that we can truly know your love, your comfort, and your peace. That we can count on your salvation, that you never leave the one behind. And so, God, we come to you now with hearts bended to you, recognizing that how much you have done for us already, but knowing still we live in a world with hurt, with suffering, with pain, and with need. And so, God, we lift up in particular Sandra, who is suffering uh, from pancreatic cancer. We lift up John Hafner um, in his long recovery of his first stroke. We lift up the nation of the Ukraine. Um, recognizing that even as things are different, we are now a month in um, to that terrible conflict. And so, God, we pray for peace. Uh, we pray for the civilians uh, who are caught in the middle of it. But, God, we pray for that war to end. Uh, we pray that people may be safe. We pray that some form of normal life can be rebuilt from the ashes. We lift up Rhonda, uh, who is suffering uh, from breast cancer. God, uh, we pray uh, for her healing. We lift up Ray Kidd um, from the Springfield congregation uh, who remains hospitalized uh, now with a trach um, uh, due to complications from COVID. Uh, we lift up prayers for all of those affected by the seven tornadoes that hit East and Central Texas over the past week. Uh, in particular um, for us, uh, we lift up Crockett, um, which is kind of the closest place to us that was hit extremely hard. But God, we pray for all of those who are in the way of that. God, we pray uh, for their lives, pray that they are able to rebuild. We lift up our dear brother Stacy, um, who is out sick today. God, uh, we pray uh, for his healing. Um, God, we also pray for those things that are spoken, but those that are also unspoken. God, we pray for those things in our hearts that we do not feel ready to know, but know that even as we lift them up to you, you are moving in mighty ways. And so, God, we pray that you may move in mighty ways in this congregation, that we may truly be the people of the second chance, taking that second chance you have given us and using it for your purpose, being your hands and feet and voice in the world. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. You might be seated. And now invite Pastor Emily uh, and the kids to, to come forward uh, for a message prepared just for them. morning friends oh we need to unmute am i unmuted there we go good morning friends 
I am so excited about how many of y'all are here today. Look at this big old group of kids. Isn't it fabulous? I know. It's so exciting. Okay, so I was wondering if y'all would help me tell a story. Um, have you ever lost something that was super important to you? You have. What was something that you lost one time? It was a really cute sheep that was pink and it smelled like strawberries. Would, would you have been super excited to find that sheep once that lost sheep had been found again? Yes. How about you, Judah? My Batman toy. Your Batman toy. Did you ever find your missing Batman toy? Not yet. Still missing. All right. Anybody else? Did you Have you ever lost anything? Okay. Well, how do you feel when you find something that you thought was lost and it comes back to you? What do you think? Very happy. Very happy. How about you, Anna? Excited. Excited. Well, that's what happened in our story today. Um, so in our scripture today, Jesus tells a story about a son who goes off and he's kind of mean to his dad. And he says, Dad, I want the cost of my inheritance right now. I want to take all of my stuff with me and I am going to leave and I'm going to go live my own life, Dad. And he runs away. And he ends up in a very bad place. He ends up uh, being hired out to work and live with the pigs. Does that sound like a fun job? Working with and feeding the pigs out in the mud? No? Yeah. Well, after he gets to that rock bottom place, he decides, you know what? I would really like to go back home to my dad. And so he goes back home. And guess what his dad does? Do you think he's excited or not excited? Excited. So excited. What were you going to say? Excited. So excited because his son that was lost was found again. And his son that was far away, he thought might have been dead, is home and now he's alive again. Yeah. What What else were you going to say, Jay? You have something else? No? Change your mind? Okay. Well, let's remember that excitement. And let's go ahead and close our eyes. Put our hands together. Let's bow our heads. Would you guys pray with me, please? Dear God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us. Even when we run away, you welcome us home again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As advertised by Pastor Emily during the children's sermon, uh, we are doing uh, the parable of the prodigal son. Um, but as a little bit of a preview, the actual header and um, so the headers on your Bible were not written by the Bible writers. They were written by later editors. My later editor calls this the parable of the prodigal and his brother, uh, which I think will become very relevant in about 15 minutes from now. Uh, but our uh, scripture reading is uh, from the gospel according to Luke, uh, chapter 15, uh, verses 1 through 3, um, to set up who Jesus is talking to, and then jumping down to verse 11b uh, through 32, which is the heart of the parable. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling, saying, This fellow comes, welcomes sinners, and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent 
everything, a severe famine took the place, excuse me, took place throughout the, that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out uh, to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to, to the fields to feed his pigs. He would have gladly filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, he saw his father. His father saw him and was filled with compassion, and he ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate." For that this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field. When he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother uh, has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has gotten him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out, began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen, for all these years, I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come, come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is God's good word for us, God's beloved people. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Amen. So past week of my life did not exactly go to plan. I was being teased for this um, during meet and greet. I, so I, I mentioned offhand, I think I only mentioned it first service, that I had jury, I got called for jury duty last week. I was juror number 207. Um, so I anticipated like a really boring, I had a busy week ahead of me. It's a, it was a normal pastor week, but I planned on like going, sitting in the Anderson County Courthouse for a few hours, um, and then going about my way to teach a marriage class and to, you know, do a board meeting and to write a sermon. All these things that I normally do with my time when I'm not talking directly to y'all. And I did indeed. I, I did indeed show up um, at the Anderson County Courthouse at, uh, at uh, 8.30 a.m. I had all of my paperwork filled out. Um, I handed my paperwork in. I sat down. Um, I waited. I went over my notes for the, marriage, for the marriage series that evening. And eventually I did go home from the courthouse. 
But then at 9 a.m. on Tuesday morning, I had to go back. And then at 9 a.m. on Wednesday morning, I had to go back. At 9 a.m. on Thursday morning, I had to go back because I got selected for the jury. I actually had to sit through this entire criminal trial, hearing evidence, and then eventually argue with 11 of my peers on as to this person's innocence or guilt. And it was a really weird week for me to have the parable of the prodigal son always sitting in the back of my head as I am reminded of just how broken people can be and yet how radical God's grace is. It really created an interesting, like, you know, uh, whiplash in my brain. Like, oh, man, this is awful. But, oh, God is so good. But that is not actually the thing that I encountered this week that taught me the most about this scripture, or got me thinking the most about this scripture. It is actually something that happened uh, in our Board of Stewards meeting on Tuesday night. Our Board of Stewards is the kind of, our, our version of a board of directors, 14 folks, um, it's the two pastors, um, and 12 lay folks uh, who gather once a month to go over the finances of the church, to make big, important decisions for the church, to hear updates on how things are going. Uh, Mary has to pretend to be nice to me for about 90 minutes a month, at least in that meeting, right? It's, it, it, it's a wonderful team of people, and we got talking at the end of the meeting about ways we could grow and improve as a church. That's one of their core jobs is to challenge. One of the core jobs of that team is to challenge this place to be the best version of what it can be. The couple of our leaders throughout there, we have this tagline, the church of the second chance. It's who we are. But how can we talk about being the church of the second chance in a way that says that we are not just a place for new Christians, but we're a place for someone who is at any point on their Christian journey. Yes, we absolutely need to be a place for new Christians. Too many churches have let go of the idea of being a place for new Christians. This has to remain a place where new Christians can come, get plugged in, learn what this whole church thing is really about. But how do we talk about being the people of the second chance? that also says, if you've been a Christian for 50 years, you'll have a home here. If you've been a Christian for five years, you'll have a home here. If you were in the graduating class of Christians alongside Moses, you will have a home here. That at any point in that journey, you will have a home here. And I don't necessarily have the satisfying answer that I think our leaders need. I need to think and pray on this more. But my initial reaction as I'm sitting in that meeting is, we are the people of the second chance because everyone needs one. We are the people of the second chance. Whether you've been a Christian for five minutes, or not yet a Christian yet, been a Christian for five hours, five days, five years, 500 years, does not matter. All of us need a second chance because both of the brothers in this story also need a second chance. That this scripture shows the entire course of a life of faith. Telling us, to, challenging us to see God's grace for the younger brother and God's grace for the older brother, both of whom need a second chance in this story. We know the first part, the first two-thirds of this story really well. And it is a beautiful story of the grace of God that this younger son insults his father to a mighty degree by saying, look, I really don't care how much longer you keep living. I just need the money so I can get out of here. 
mean, that sounds pretty insulting now. If I was to say that, I'm never going to say that to my own father. It would be terrible. I spent, that was what my college money was called. Um, but back then, that is also saying, I don't care about this family. I'm going to sell off its land, this land that we've been building up since our ancestors. I'm going to sell off my part of it because what I want is the cash, not this family, not to be a part of the life of this family, not to improve the life of this family. I just, I just want to get on. I wish you were dead and I want to get on my way. And so he does. Father says, fine. I'm not going to keep you here. here. Here you go. And away that son goes. And that son blows that money on what, the, what Jesus in the Bible, you know, nicely calls dissolute living. Uh, what I would refer to as wine, women, and song, right? He blows his entire, he blows his family's future. The security of his family for generations on wine, women, and song, and ends up so broke, he is staring at these disgusting pods that they fed the pigs and wishing he could eat those. Last time I preached on this scripture here, I handed out some of those pods. That meant I had a bunch of them in my office for several months. I ate even more of those pods. They're disgusting. We will eat anything if someone tells us it's healthy. This is part of some health food craze. At that point in history, they fed them to pigs, which in my opinion is where they belong. Gross. And yet I kept eating them. I hate that whole bag. Awful. Anyways, he's staring lovingly at disgusting pig pods. And he comes to that conclusion, right? Hey, my dad's pretty good to the guys he hires to work the farm. I'll go and be, you know, what we would call a ranch hand, right? I'll go and be a ranch hand, right? I'll live in the bunkhouse. I don't know if there was one. I'll live in the bunk tent. I'll work all day. I'll get a small salary. I'll get my bread. I'll survive. Yeah, my dad will look at me as if I blew the family's fortune. But guess what? I did blow the family's fortune. So I'll go. I'll tell them I'll mess, messed up. And look, look, just hire me to be one of your workers. Let this be an economic relationship. I just need to survive. And I happen to know that you're a pretty good guy. And you take care of your employees real well. And so he gets his whole speech and he gets it ready to go, and he goes, and before he gets home, something truly remarkable happens in verse 20. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. You don't actually need the biblical context, the history behind that, um, to, know, to see that image of a loving father, tear-streaked on his face, sprinting down the road in his house coat to welcome his long-lost son. But that father was an important man. An important man, and that time did not go to anyone. People came to him. He certainly would never have run, and yet he abandons all dignity, all the, the constraints of society, and just runs headlong as a loving parent, so glad to see this son that was lost and is found, was blind and sees, has come home, is alive again. And this, of course, is a metaphor for God's love. And this part of the story is 100% true. That is how God loves you. It is how God loves me. It does not matter what the dissolute, what your version of dissolute living was or what your version of dissolute living is. 
God is here right now, ready to run to you with open arms. And with God, you don't even have to travel anywhere. You just have to come up with that speech in your head of why you need God's forgiveness. And then there that forgiveness is. There that grace is. There that loving parent, arms wide open, tears streaking down his face, is charging towards you to encircle you in a hug and say, welcome home. You were dead and you were alive. You are lost and now found. That is there for all of us. No matter what, no matter what that version of dissolute living was, no matter what that version of dissolute living is, no matter how many times you've asked for it, it's there. And what a wonderful testament to the reality and love of God. But that's only two-thirds of the story. There's this other third. This is the parable of the prodigal. And his brother. And when his brother comes into the story, it is important for us to remember who Jesus is talking to as he gives this sermon, as he tells this parable. And yes, he is talking to sinners, uh, but here, this is why I included that weird header on the front, uh, verses 1 through 3. Here again, uh, verses 1 through 2. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling, saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. I don't know why this guy sounds, why they sound like a senator from the 1900s, but whatever. Jesus is not just talking to the people who have been socially rejected for being called sinners. Jesus is also talking to the religious elite, the Pharisees, the scribes the people who were really sure that they were keeping the law absolutely perfectly, so sure that they were keeping the law absolutely perfectly, that they shunned anyone who was not keeping the law perfectly. And for them, Jesus introduced the character of the brother, who the brother goes, hey, I got straight A's. Hey, I've worked this farm diligently. Hey, I've fed the cows. I've cleaned the goats. I'm birthed the sheep. I'm making farm stuff up now. I have no idea what this guy did or what farming was like in the first century or the 21st century. Does not matter. I've been here diligently. I've been your perfect kid. I got grades. I've been working my tail off every day. I never went and partied. I never did anything wrong. Why are you so excited about this guy? And there he's right. He has been perfect by the world standards. He has fed every sheep, cleaned every goat, birthed every calf, got straight A's, never partied, never had a problem, was home on time every night, always brushed his teeth, and never left a plate on the table. He's perfect. Except... God also cares about how we treat others. How we're supposed to love our neighbor. How we're supposed to welcome the stranger. How we're supposed to be glad that we've been forgiven so that other people can be forgiven too. And so the father challenges the son in verses 31 and 32. Then the father said to him, Son, 
you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The prodigal son knows what he did wrong. It was the dissolute living that landed him in the pig, pig pod pit. Say that three times fast. The older brother did wrong too. His sin, more subtle perhaps, was a pride and a lack of love and a lack of forgiveness. But neither brother lived as God would have them do. Neither brother lived as their father would have them do. And so both brothers in this parable find themselves in need of a second chance. Whether it's a second chance from dissolute living and landing in a pig pod pit, or whether it is a second chance from being a prideful, self-righteous son of a gun. In the eyes of God, it's both, both all, of, all of that is sin. All of that is a specter of sin that God views equally. So, good news, friends. God forgives us. God forgives us. God forgives us no matter how many times we sin. God forgives us no matter the scale of the sin, no matter what your version of desolute living was, is, will be, does not matter. There's not a thing you can do that can separate you from the love of God. There's not a thing you can do that can stop God from being ready right there, waiting to come sprinting back towards you, arms wide open. There is not a thing. All you got to do is turn to God and go, yep, I did that. I'm mad. Ooh, I need forgiveness. God's right there, right there for you. Every time, without fail, that is what was accomplished on the cross of Christ and his resurrection. That was 2,000 years ago. That's a historical fact. But this forgiveness, the forgiveness of that father, our God, is here for you. And yes, it is here for you when you have wandered very far from God. God does not measure that distance. When you have wandered as far from God as you can possibly imagine, the forgiveness of God is there for you. My first baptism uh, was a guy who used to be a Satanist, right? He was a, not just like, a, oh, I think Satan's cool. No, like he was a practicing Satanist. He, uh, his family ended up at vacation Bible school, um, and within nine months, he wanted to be baptized. And so uh, when he came up from that water, I'll admit, it was my first river baptism. It took me a second to get him back up. I had not figured out the mechanics of that. Uh, Zach stayed under a little longer than normal. Maybe he needed a little extra time down there. I don't know. But when I finally managed to get him up and the water had come out of his mouth, he did not need him mouth to mouth. It was fine. He got the water out. He was saved. He had been welcomed home by God. He was brought, wandered so far, he was working for the other side. And yet God forgave him. God came sprinting to him and threw God's arms around him. There is no distance you can travel that can stop God from being able to reach you with that love and that forgiveness when you ask for it. God is also there for us when we become comfortable in our faith and become like the older brother when we become 
a Pharisee. When we look at our own faith lives, how righteous we've become, how many Sunday school classes we've attended, how many little stamps are on our prayer books, how worn our Bible pages are, we feel so good about how far we've come. And then we look down at all those sinners. It's a sin too. To be a Christian is to be a person who's known God's second chance love. And the truth is, no matter where you are on that Christian journey, you're a person who needs a second chance from God. May we celebrate the second chances that we have received in our lives. May we celebrate the second chances that come for others, no matter how far they have wandered. To be a Christian is to be, the Greek word means little Christ. We are meant to be like Christ. Yes, we are meant to be like Christ in not falling into dissolute living. But we are also meant to be like Christ in how we celebrate those who have come home. Christ is the one who left the 99 for the sake of the one. May we love in that way. And may we know that that forgiveness is there for us regardless of where we have gone astray. Let us pray. Gracious loving God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that you love us, that you love us, that your love for us runs so deep. You are ready to sprint to us, arms wide open, if only we ask. Loving God, may we know that forgiveness you have for us in our lives, wherever we are on our faith journey, whether we are starting out or still trying to get it right long into the journey. God, may we celebrate and know and appreciate that forgiveness that you have sent into our lives. May we celebrate, know, and appreciate when it comes for others as well. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. I invite you to grab the hands of the people around you, form one united body in Christ, because indeed, power and presence of God's Spirit, that is what we are. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. God is ready to sprint down that road and throw God's arms around you, if only we ask. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.